The bards must drink and junk it. Hello, friends and strangers. Thank you for listening to Tomorrow Tomorrow We Die, a show about the trials and adventures that happen while touring as a working musician, told to you by people who have built their lives or portions of their lives around writing and playing the music that they love. We are your hosts. I'm John Wisniewski. And I'm Jeffrey McNulty. And every episode, we'll bring you an interview with people that are out there day to day grinding against the many odds on the off chance that they're asked to join the Melvins. (laughs) (laughs) We have our first artist who has served with the Melvins. Yes. (laughs) And hopefully the first of many. Yeah. um, And so if you follow the Melvins like Jeff and I do, you know that it's Dale and Buzz have always been the Melvins from the start. Yeah. And then they've kind of just had this like, rotating cast of some of the best musicians in the underground coming in and playing with them and making albums with them and touring with them. Yeah. So filling in on bass. Super exciting. This will be our first interview with somebody who's in the Melvins and a bunch of other great bands as well. Before we get into it, yeah. we have to make a correction. So back in our interviews with the guys from Teen Cthulhu about the first Akimbo Teen Cthulhu tour uh-huh. episodes, we had a quick sideline with TJ and I think I made a comment about two bass players is never a good idea. Oh yeah, but then you... <laughs> We kind of riffed on that a little bit. Yeah, Um, and you forgot about one very important band. Not only did I forget about them, but (laughs) one of the members of that band listens to the show. He's a friend of ours, Brandon Fitzsimmons. Yeah. Hit me up on Facebook after that episode came out, and he's like, yo, dude, what the fuck? Like, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, What about Wormwood? What about Wormwood? It's like, like, I know you've worn our shirts before and stuff, so... um, yeah. Shit, I was wearing one yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> we absolutely need to make a correction there because Wormwood was an awesome band with two bass players. Yeah, they were they were the exception to the rule, though. No offense. Once again on, on this episode, quick apology for the audio quality of the interview. Yeah, we're still working on these. These are from way back in the early COVID days. Yeah, yeah. We're, st- we're starting to like publish our backlog of interviews, and we were still trying to figure out good rooms, good mics, good setup, though. Mm-hmm. So, Sorry. My <laughs> mic sounds pretty muffled. Our guest definitely had a fair amount of technical difficulties for the show. But of course, Jeff, the audio engineer, sounds fucking beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, Cody sounds great. You know, for someone who's just sitting in front of his computer, the whole thing comes off pretty smooth. I, I'm really happy. Speaking of Cody. Who's Cody? He is one of the nicest people that I have ever met in my life and is so fun to talk to. Legendary drummer, started out in a little band called Murder City Devils, yeah. who some of you may have heard of. He's such a beast on the drums. And you meet him, and he's such a pleasant person with this kind demeanor, like not an intimidating presence to be around at all. And then he gets on his drums and basically commits murder. Like he is so (laughs) ferocious on his drums. It is insane. I've always thought that drummers have a scream factor. Yeah. And what I define as a scream factor is for drummers is when you're watching a drummer play live, and this is usually mostly in a small room, but I've totally had it happen to me in like like huge venues as well. But you're watching a drummer play and they're doing things and you're, you're hearing what they're doing and at the same time you're seeing how they're moving their body uh-huh. and you just start screaming and you can't stop yourself yeah. from yelling and you're just like oh ah, like oh my god what did you just yeah. Cody rates very high on the scream factor like if you ever watch him play you're just going to be yelling the whole time you're going to be horked after yeah. he's done it's so good and it's like he was a really good drummer back in the Murder City Devil days when they kicked off that 70s punk revival thing in Seattle and then it kind of just kept going in the Northwest yeah. he was a badass when he played in Deadlow 
Low Tide uh, with Mike Kunka. From Godhead Silo. Yes, from Godhead Silo, who, you know, is known for playing with badass drummers. Mm-hmm. And then Big Business started, and he's, you know, you're like, dang, man, he's pulling it <laughs> off. And then he joined the Melvins and started playing next to Dale Crover, yeah. arguably one of the best rock drummers of all time. I mean, and he just owned it. He just fucking held his own, and everybody was like, holy shit, Cody's holding his own. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's kicking ass. I know, with Crover. So good. And then, yeah, like we go on to talk about it in the interview too, but he's playing on TV these days. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I know, that is professional. I know. <laughs> and worth mentioning that due to the current COVID situation, he's a recent home mm-hmm. studio drummer for hire. So if you have a music project out there and you need a phenomenal drummer. Yeah, he'll play for you. <laughs> and you're not, you know, he's going to do a great job on your project. You can reach out to him on his Instagram or Facebook and just follow our channels to find him. No jerks, please. No jerks. Yeah, super excited to get talking to Cody. And before we do, let's introduce a big business song. This is a song called We Can Swarm. It's off their new album. Mm-hmm. This is a drums only track, so this will give you a little bit Perfect. of a little bit of a taste. Cody Willis, welcome to the show. Welcome, Cody. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks, guys. How's it going, man? Uh, it's pretty weird right now, actually. <laughs> Tell the people who you are and what you've done in the various bands. Uh, I'm a drummer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there we go. I've been in a few bands. I, I started out in Murder City Devils. It was kind of my first real mm-hmm. recording touring band. And I also play in Big Business. And I was in the Melvins for about uh, eight years. Mm-hmm. That's it. Eight years? Yeah. <laughs> That's what I said. Dude, I didn't even... <laughs> eight years went by fast. That is True. insane. It was like three albums, right? Or was it four albums? Four? Three? Fuck. There's, some, there's a bunch of yeah. side recording and EPs. I, I, I'm not sure how many things actually ended up... Yeah, three full lengths. There's uh, Senile Animal, Nude with Boots. Uh, uh-huh. Let's just say it's a lot of good shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could keep going, but there's there's yeah. several albums. Yeah. And there's another band in there, too, that you were in that, that I love, love, loved that didn't get as much recognition as I thought it would, but Dead Low Tide. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We did a lot in that band in a very short time. I think Mm -hmm. we were a band for like a little over a year. We did like two U.S. tours and made a full length and a couple seven inches and broke up really quickly. (laughs) But cool. I'm glad you like that stuff, man. And then recently, too, you were playing drums on TV. Yeah. Yeah. I got asked to uh, sit in for a week on Late Night with Seth Myers, and it was awesome. Holy shit. That's so cool. How did I miss that? That's what I'm I gonna said. go back and watch that on Hulu. You can still Hulu yeah. it, December 9th through December 12th. I just wrote that down. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> it was a, an experience for sure. I bet. About how many years has it been that you've been a touring musician, roughly? Uh, I think the first tour I did with the Murder City Devils, the first U.S. tour we did, pretty sure it was in 1996. Wow. Or maybe early 1997. Then we toured like all the time after that. So since then, I guess yeah. it's been kind of my. Uh, and so yeah, that's that's how I tend to make my money is is being on the road so you've been on the road for you know some significant percentage of every year since 1996 
So for 30 plus years, that's just, you've been doing this. Yeah. Sweet. Yes. It's awesome. But when you put it like that, it sounds, it's, yeah, right. <laughs> seems intense. <laughs> I mean, great job. Mm-hmm, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's good work if you can get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So wind back the clock for us and tell us all about the very first tour that you did with Murder City Devils. How was that? Oh, it was great. It was, you know, uh, I was very amazed that it was happening. I was very amazed that I had fallen in with this group of people who wanted to do the thing I wanted to do as much as I did and were serious about it. Like I I had many uh, false starts with bands where there's a lot of big talk about like hitting the road and making records and it never ended up panning out or someone flaked out or someone wasn't able to like commit to being gone for you know, over a week at a time. So to meet that many guys that were excited about doing it and were committed to doing it and had the wherewithal to like book their own tour, pretty mind-blowing. It's pretty amazing. We did one like West Coast tour. We had this, I forget whose van it was. It might've been Derek or it might've been Gabe, but it was, it was just a shell of a van. It was just like, just the frame. <laughs> yeah. It, it had that, uh, you know, the sunroof bubble in the back. Oh yeah. But except the bubble was gone. It had been, Oh yeah. Had been visqueened over. <laughs> Like a double layer of Visqueen that had slowly filled with water. So there was a water-filled inverse bubble. It was just like Russian roulette. Like, when is that thing? It just got, like, more yellow and weird, too. So it was like nobody wanted to deal with it, but it was just that hanging over our heads all the time. This this horrible, poisonous yeah, bubble was oh. just sagging into the van. <laughs> what, there was no back seat or anything like that. It was like the gear, and then they had built this, like, wooden bench in the back for they didn't just put a couch in there no no no, i wish they it was like a torture device like you could only sit on it there was like a cushion on top of it but it was the angle of it the way it was just torture to sit there and uh yeah there's no insulation in the van at all it's just the metal (laughs) superstructure of the van on the outside so however cold it was or hot it was outside was exactly the same temperature as it was in the van probably hotter oh my god so that was like our first like our first show we ever played was in Portland, Oregon at what used to be the X-Ray Cafe and it became the Ohel Cafe. Maybe? And that was our first show. And we played in Reno, Reno, in Oakland. Okay. And uh, I think we made it down to LA on that trip. And I think we played at Al's Bar. Oh, yeah. I loved Al's Bar. Oh, yeah, God. Akimbo played there too. In LA. Fun. Well, we played at the PCH Club okay. as well, um, which is a fun place. We did this like West Coast tour in this the crazy van, and it was, it was super fun. I remember we had a breakdown right outside of Oakland where we stopped on the freeway. Uh huh. The van, the van broke down on the freeway. It's, the uh, cabin started filling with smoke. Oh no! The oh, engine God. was fucked. Like it, the engine blew up somehow. We were running on like one or two cylinders going up this hill. The cabin started filling with smoke, so we had like a roll of duct tape, and we were just like plugging all the holes in the dashboard. <laughs> oh, like oh, no. where the smoke was coming from. Yeah, that's the fix. Not get out and fix the van. <laughs> you fixed it. No, we were just trying to get up this hill. Yeah, I dig. So we didn't have to like stall on this yeah. hill. And we had, that's what happened is we had to pull over. Uh, we were about to play at uh, Gilman, Gilman Street oh, okay. in uh, mm-hmm. Oakland. And we made it to the side of the road. A state patrol person showed up and we were able to somehow, one of us went with the state trooper to make a phone call to get some of our friends to come and grab us. Nice. So someone came and got us. We made it to the show. 
and fan got towed to the show. This guy, Richard the roadie, who was a roadie for neurosis uh-huh. forever, showed up. And <laughs> after the show, he like came and he's like, let's see what we got here. And he uh, stuck his finger into the tailpipe. And he's like, okay, start it up. And like started it up and like made some horrible sound and like turned his whole hand black. And he's like, yeah, your engine's fucked. Right? <laughs> okay. So we had it towed. This is the, the crazy, we had it towed back to his place. And his whole, he's like, I'm a, a, just this insane genius mechanic guy. So his whole house is just like a, there's like a motorcycle engine block yeah. in his bedroom oh, that's taken apart that he was rebuilding. Classic. Uh, everything, yeah. And he somehow called up some junkyard that he knew about, found an engine that would work with our van, got it, we bought it, like out of the scrapyard, and in a in one day, in 24 hours, he switched engines out. Son he had a winch bitch. that pulled the that other engine out. He unplugged wondering. everything, dropped the other one in, plugged it all in, true. and it worked. It got us home. And Rick we, we the like roadie. missed one day of tour. And he, Richard the roadie. Richard the roadie. The man. Yeah. I think he. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think maybe Citizen Fish was this other band that he toured with. But it was Neurosis. Oh, it was yeah, incredible. We had a new engine. Did you guys pay him? You I don't think he asked for it. I think we gave him whatever we could. Uh, we had zero dollars. Like, <laughs> a seven I, I, we had no money at all. <laughs> yeah, probably. Probably. I'm singing his praises to this day. So that's that's the best we could do. Yeah. If he's out there, I don't know. It was an incredible thing to see happen. And we made it home. And everything was cool. But we had to get a new van right after that. So mm, the next van was yeah. better. My first van was a Ford Aerostar minivan. And it could only carry the gear and not the people. So we didn't do any touring until I actually bought a real van. <laughs> oh, my God. But it got us around Seattle for the first two years. So that was That'll fun. work. That'll work. Our first van was Nat's, like, Dodge Ram. that had, like, over 300,000 miles on it. And it broke down two weeks before our very first tour and we had to, we were going with Tinkathulu. And so we had to all pile into one van and then Brandon drove his geo Metro behind the van. And that's how nice. we tour. Yeah. Awesome. Classy. <laughs> <laughs> the old Ram vans were great. Oh, they uh, are big businesses. First van that we got off of this band, Visqueen from Seattle. Oh yeah. It was, it was, uh, it was their hand me down sure. van. Yeah. 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 Great band. They're very great. They're great people too. I, I, Love each and every one of those people there. We we played a few shows with them. Rachel, I think, is the person that I knew from that band. Yes. Ben Hooker, the drummer, is one of mm-hmm. the best people I've ever met in my life. He's so funny and rad and great drummer. And they were just, and Kim Warnick, of course. Mm-hmm. A legend. She's a legend. Nonstop action all the yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. So it's always fun hanging out with all of them. But they gave this a Ram van and it, we called it Bullet. It's like a silver van and it had one of those, when you sat in it, you had like, your left foot was up on the wheel well. Oh, yeah. Like it was, the seats were so far forward that <laughs> yeah. you're just kind of like sitting up over the steering wheel. Doghouse on one side, yeah. wheel well on the other. So you're just like, you have this like forward stance. So I always felt like you're really leaning into the drive. You know? Silver bullet. That's awesome. I miss that van. It was, a, it was a great one. Yep. Bullet. She did us proud. Was that the one that I put a sticker on on the tour that Akimbo did with Big Business and you looked at me with like the most disappointed dad look on your face? <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. Probably. Yeah, I think that happened. I still I still remember that. Like, like you know you have those memories of like things you did 
in the past and uh, that you just like are not proud of. How are you going to disrespect our lady like that? <laughs> I know, I know. Like, like I still <laughs> think about yeah, 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 that. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. My face gets hot. Like when I'm by myself, I'm just like, God, why did I do mm. that? That was so stupid. Uh, <laughs> don't be so sensitive, John. <laughs> Fuck that van. Uh, Those guys are it's punks. Fine. Yeah. We're all, we're all yeah. neurotic. <laughs> yeah, we are. I do the same thing yeah. about the weirdest stuff. Yeah, if, if you're going to go uh, slapping stickers on people's property willy nilly, you're going to have to grow some skin, man. Yeah. Jeez. No, totally. <laughs> Totally. <laughs> Man, just so you know, it still embarrasses me. For the next like U.S. tour, where did that take you? And this is like your first time leaving Seattle. The Murder City Devils' first U.S. tour. Yeah, yeah. That would have been our second time leaving Seattle. Hmm. We had played in Portland before. Portland was our first show. The second tour we ever did was a full U.S. tour, and we had three dates on that tour where we were opening for Pearl Jam. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. Our friend Carrie Harrop, who worked at Sub Pop, was one of our biggest like champions from the very start. Uh-huh. And she was like lifelong friends with uh, Stone Gossard, the guitar player for, or one yep. of the guitar players for Pearl Jam. Our first record had just come out, and she somehow got our first record into the hands of Stone and talked us up or whatever. And I guess he was like, yeah, sure. So they had these three open dates. I think like Mud Honey was one of the other opening bands. I can't remember who else, but. Uh, it was St. Louis, Dallas, and Houston. First U.S. tour, Pearl Jam, motherfucker. <laughs> we had this tour that we booked ourselves for the rest of the tour, yeah. and then three dates opening for Pearl Jam, like the biggest band in the world. So it was that was weird, but really, really fun. You probably booked it around those dates, right? Like you said, oh, we have those three dates, so... I think we might have had some of it booked, yeah. and then that was like, it worked out. And I, I don't really remember... Gotcha. And I don't remember who actually booked it. Oh, no, I do. Aaron, who is the drummer for the band Mono Men out of Bellingham, Washington. And he also owned the 3B Tavern. Oh, I love that place. uh, Which the building is still there. Oh, yeah. 3B. Legendary. He was our booking agent. Lucky. At the time. Yeah, good hookup. Yeah. He wasn't the best booking agent okay. <laughs> in the world. Okay, bad hook. At this point, we had a uh, uh, our second van after the, the Bubble of Death van was... Uh, Gabe somehow found an old ambulance and it was like a, it was a Ram van, uh-huh. which had the ex- extended roof on it. It was amazing for a van van because it had all these like locking drawers. Oh, yeah. It had two bench seats in the bottom. The floor was linoleum, you know, like so blood doesn't get everywhere or whatever. Like, <laughs> I was going to say, you just hose it down. <laughs> Nate and Gabe had built this like extending loft into it so the loft could be collapsed back on itself. Uh, mm-hmm. So you could still stand up in the van and hang out. But when it was time to sleep, you could pull it out. Oh, that's dope. It looked very uh, cannibal run. It had like the swivel yeah. spotlights uh, outside of the window <laughs> and everything. It was awesome. And yeah, like it was like easy to clean. Like you pull up to a gas station and use the squeegee to clean the floor. <laughs> that's actually so sweet. It's so sweet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was it was awesome. So good. We loved that van for sure. And we were, yeah, we were off. And it was like the first time I'd been anywhere outside of, you know, like Washington and Portland yep. or whatever. So it's like every place we went was someplace we had all never been before. Sure. So it was very like romantic and everybody was just like partying as hard as we possibly could every single night. Like our set list at that point, I think we made it a rule that we would never play more than eight songs per set. So it's good like, for you. if we hit half an hour, I would be amazed. Like it, it was like 25 minutes time. That's- but it was that's the so way much to go. Fun. We did the same thing. 
That's how you sell a record. You play a short, awesome set, and you leave yeah, them one you know, more. It's always better. To- <laughs> yes. Do that every time if you can, in my motto. I feel like it's a lost art these days. I can't remember the last time I saw a band who I was like, that's it? Yeah. Like, oh my God. Like, that was our game plan. And it was just super, super fun every night. We made mixtapes. We had a, a tape player in the van, and we... Oh, so fun. Drank our faces off, and Gabe drove us around, and we played a bunch of shows. And it was awesome. That's great. We played New Orleans for the first time. I can't remember the name of it. It was called Under the Sun. I don't know. It was under like an overpass. Uh-huh. It's like an old honky tonk kind of like there's a huge uh, like dance floor and wood railings everywhere. Yeah, like a wooden floor. It had a wooden floor, like a wooden dance floor. Yeah, I think we played that place once. Do you remember the name of it? I don't, but I just remember there being all this wood. Like, you know, it just seemed like. <laughs> I remember wood. Anyway, we got there and there was some immediate. It wasn't like packed by any means. Like, the, I think there was maybe like yeah. 30 people there or something. But like the people who were at the show were already there when we got there. Yeah. There was definitely some attitude thrown our way. Like what? I think it happened, like Spencer went to the bar, somebody went to the bar and was talking to somebody and they're like, oh, Murder City Devils. So, And they they were mad because we're called Murder City Devils, but we were from Seattle when obviously New Orleans. (laughs) Yeah, and NOLA at the time. Murder capital of the country or the world or whatever. What a thing to be proud of. So that was an issue. A lot of towns have been called Murder City in their time. It's true. NOLA was Murder City at that point. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And we were, you know. Well aware of that when we got there. It wasn't a welcoming vibe. Like people were definitely like fronting. And to be fair, we might have had attitudes as well. I, I mean, we we might have. Uh, uh, we just opened the program. Come on, we knew you back then. You had attitudes. We might we we might have we might have put out a shitty vibe. I don't know. It's it's totally possible. <laughs> like we we got time to for us to play, and we started playing. And there was, you know, like the invisible wall perimeter of people set up. So there was just like this huge empty space about 20 feet in front of the stage. And a bunch of guys with their arms crossed just watching us scowling. Always. And so we're like, all right. And we're playing. And like some guy came up as a diss. He came up and brought a chair and sat right in front of Dan and placed the chair on the floor right in front of where Dan was. (laughs) And sat down in the chair and crossed his arm and like stood at Dan. What a jerk. So in mid-song, Dan like gets down and like straddles the guy on the chair and starts giving him like a lap dance while playing guitar. (laughs) Good response. And how'd that go? Yeah. So the next thing that happened was the guy slaps Dan off his lap. Dan falls to the floor. Spencer jumps off stage. The guy slaps Spencer's glasses off his face. Oh, shit. Everybody from the crowd runs forward (laughs) to jump into the fight. Derek jumps off the stage. The band jumps off the stage to, like, grab our guys. Yeah. Brawl is happening, and Gabe, our roadie, off to the side, runs. I just see him running with his arms, both his arms outstretched. Oh, my God. And he runs into the crowd as hard as he possibly can, and just domino effect knocks everybody down. (laughs) (laughs) So good. So kind of, like, diffused the situation. Like, everybody had to, like, pick themselves up for a second. We were able to, like, grab ourselves and grab Dan and Spencer and, like, separate from the whole thing. And then the bartenders jumped in and were like, it got calmed down, but they made us leave immediately. Like they're like, you guys have to go right now. So we had to get all our shit, put it in the van, and leave. I don't think Jesus. we got. We, I, you know. Oh my! But God. yeah, that was that was New Orleans. You did not get paid, Gabe. Yeah. <laughs> Let's say we didn't. We probably were never getting paid for that show. Like that wasn't on the table at all. It's probably a smart move at that point, though. You know what I mean? To like just kind of calm it down and not have it turn in. By the way, my first Nola show that we ever played was the same way. It was like. 
the five people that kind of knew who we were and everybody else just went and had crossed arms and stood way in the back and didn't give a fuck about us because we didn't have dreads or anything and we weren't we were playing with a bunch of crusty bands and no we, we didn't fit in you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, they were yeah. Like, who are these? Who are these guys with shirts and ties and short <laughs> they hair? They want us to read. Fuck these yeah. guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the second time though that uh, Gabe has been mentioned on this show. So we had Corey Brewer on last season. He's been on tour with you. He's been on tour with Gabe. Yeah. He's told us some stories about Gabe. Who is Gabe? Tell the people who Gabe is and why is he a legend in the touring world? How do I how do I start? I don't know. He, Gabe is a, a very unique individual. He's like the most he started this phrase that was like our the war cry for the, the first couple of years we were on tour. It was just like the gusto train. Just get on the gusto train or get out of the way. <laughs> like, and it was like, let's go. Like, so he was just gusto. like the biggest like self-starter. If somebody had an idea or was like, we should do this. Like the next day we woke up to find that he had gone out in the middle of the night and built that thing that we were talking about or had made it happen or found the impossible thing to find. And he did it without like, he just, took his own initiative yeah. and made it happen. So he was just always like uh-huh. on board to like make it happen or whatever. And he always wanted to do, to do this thing, like be this roadie. It's like once he conceived it in his mind, that this is what he's going to do. There was never any looking back. He fully took on this role of like ultimate roadie tour manager. Yeah. Uber roadie. He became this that, that rules cartoon character, except for real. Yeah. Tell everyone how he uh, looked. He would do. He would do anything. He's he's the same way to this day. Like he's not like anybody I've ever met before. I don't think I'll ever meet anybody like him again. Like he's just uh, he's as frightening as you can be, being completely comprised of positive energy. If that makes any sense. Like he's like so gung ho and scary, but not mean spirited at all. Something will always happen that is the most amazing thing you've ever seen if he's around. And that's so cool because you know. Then, if you're getting fucked with by Gabe, that you yeah, are wrong. Yeah, he's a special guy. <laughs> yeah, if he's fucking with you. In high school, he was on the debate team. That was like his main thing. So it's like he loves to argue at the same time. So it's like anytime anyone would push back on us in any way, he'd be front and center, ready to argue the point, nice. and would win always, like because he knew how to do it. It was invaluable, and like he did like five jobs. Like it was, it was insane. I could go on about Gabe for a long time. You should describe his look. Like, what, what was it like to see Gabe for the Well, his uniform that he adopted was, like, he did not wear shirts. Uh, he would wear, like, a vest. <laughs> an, like open an open vest. vest. Uh-huh. Yeah, usually shorts. Okay. He was slowly, uh, or not so slowly, accumulating tattoos. And, yes, yeah, so like, shorts, open vest, long hair, and, a, like, a handlebar mustache. Maybe a trucker hat. Maybe not. That's it. I mean, I remember him back in the day. I just, <laughs> I just like to reiterate yeah, what yeah. you're talking about. He would show up, and he he'd be there. And when he was in the room, he had a you'd look. know he was there. And he had that you know what look I mean? before oh, yeah. that look was like being replicated in like movies and TV shows and in magazines. Like, oh fuck yeah! Like he when did. he showed up at a show, he fucking commanded attention. Oh yeah, it was all on purpose, yeah. but it totally worked. Like he could back it up in every way, and uh, just yeah. watching him go was like the best part of the day. Like if something happened where he had to like step in and do something, it was just like. All right, let's do this. And just watching him, like, he loved it so much, too. He, he just, like, 
whoever he was arguing with was not prepared for what was coming at them in terms like because he looks the way he looks yeah and then he would make this very compelling bulletproof argument yeah. about why he's right and they're wrong and they would just like look at him like okay <laughs> okay <laughs> i guess you're like you're way smarter than i thought you were yeah exactly and then he faceted jim the man Hey, we've been talking a lot about Murder City Devils in this conversation so far, so why don't we play something by them? Yeah, Murder City Devils had a bunch of great records, like really great records. Yeah, they've had some hits. They actually released one not too long ago, which is like a really cool, like interesting, kind of like garagey, like noisy punk album. Mm -hmm. This is from their first record, which I think is sort of like more in the timeline of what we're talking about on this tour. Yeah. So this is more to give you an idea of the taste of sort of like what they sounded like at this time but yeah they had a bunch of great stuff after this record Yeah, so Gabe uh, was really intense when we were first touring. He would do all of the driving, like insisted on doing all of the driving. All of it. That was his job. Yeah. And that sounds wonderful. Yeah, it does. At first, it sounds great. <laughs> but yeah, he, would get, he definitely would drive when he shouldn't have been driving at some point. Like there's limits to, you know, human endurance. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what part of this was. was he, had, he had to push those limits as much as he possibly could. So yeah, he would just get really, really into driving. And it seems like once per tour, at least, we would just end up out of gas on the side of the road on the highway somewhere because <laughs> he was so focused on driving. Or it's like, well, there's a gas station right there, dude. And he's like, no, we can make it to the next one. We can make it being on schedule and making sure. And so yeah. like, we'd end up on the side of the road just like, God damn it. <laughs> Once per t- it happened like several times. Yeah, en- enough for it to be notable. We had the foresight beginning of one tour when we finally we had like eight people traveling together, and we had a trailer for all the gear and the merch and everything. And we had the foresight to put a BMX bike and a, a gas can in the trailer. Oh yeah, good call for when that would. <laughs> inevitably happen so yeah we'd end up on the mm-hmm. side of the road i think there's a tiny barbecue in there too and i, I have photos but yeah it'd be like drying straws on the side of the highway to see who's going to get on the bike and ride to the next exit to fill up the gas can <laughs> and, uh, i vote gabe that happened. what's that yeah jeff says he votes gabe he's <laughs> he should go yeah gabe. yeah <laughs> I had a thing where if we were at a quarter tank, we'd go fill up. That's just it. That was a blood yeah. egg rule. That was a tour rule. That's smart. Totally smart. Because if you're in Death Valley and you're at a quarter tank and you see that sign that says, you know, no gas for 100 miles, it just makes you think, oh, fuck, man. You know, maybe we should gas up. We just got to the point where we just never went below a quarter tank. And I think that's smart. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I do too. Mm-hmm. Very smart. We were adults at the time, so you know we weren't in our twenties. <laughs> We'd figured it out by that point. 
That's funny. Yeah. Gabe's one weakness is that he tours too hard. Yeah. <laughs> we, we definitely toured pretty hard. We did not have it figured out yet. We had to stop eventually just because it was like, it just became a thing where it's like everybody was drinking as much as they possibly could. And it was, it was a hard way to live for weeks and weeks and weeks, you know? It is. Sure. It's hard to do a month of that. You know, continue having a, a real friendship with somebody, you know, when you're like, Oh yeah. Everybody's either totally wasted or really hung over. <laughs> yeah, sure. You're making bad decisions and sometimes you're not not so nice to each other, you know. Yeah. <laughs> or you're really bitchy yeah, yeah, yeah. or you're making bad decisions. Do you think the rigorous tour schedule had something to do with the band calling it quits? Yeah, for sure. We just burn ourselves out on it and it just kind of got to it. so much like it's uh-huh. very much a family thing where you know it's like you build up enough history with people and like everything that happens after that has some kind of subtext to it where it's like somebody does or says something and you're like oh I see I see how you really yeah. feel it just got to this point where, where we were uh, wanted to stay friends and that meant maybe not spending so much time with each other and, and putting the band aside you know for a while and like well, let's stay friends instead of like Fair enough. keep this going yeah. for a, why are we doing this again it's not fun anymore and we hate each other we opted to like stay friends and you know <laughs> and we got to pick it up later you know what i mean it was great that that, that would be my advice to any any band in a similar situation totally. where it's like yeah you yeah. don't ever have to say we'll never play together ever again you guys can just put it down and come back to it later and agreed like the recent murder city shows that we've done like in the past few years it's like so much fun and there's no weirdness everybody's uh-huh. so mellow and there's nothing bad about it mm. it's just fun it's, i'm so lucky and feel very grateful that i still get to see these guys and hang out and pick up right where we left off it's like we never stopped doing it yeah so it's like a special thing that we still get to do it's rad it's i'm glad we didn't really ruin it forever you know yeah. Saying that you're breaking up is a weird thing. I think uh, now that we know what rock and roll is like, especially in the underground scene, it's like we're just not doing it for a while. You're calling it quits. You don't, you know, you don't got to break up forever. I mean, there are some bands that actually, <laughs> let's be fair, do need to do that. But I don't know. I don't think that's the worst thing in the world to just be like, hey, this is it. You know what I mean? Here's our last show. We're not breaking up per se. Maybe we're still friends, but let's just meet up later and see what happens. I like that. Yeah. Hey, so Big Business has gotten to do a lot of really fun shit too. And uh, I'd like to hear about that being one of my favorite bands, you guys. And then all, all of a sudden you joined one of my very favorite bands. So that was really yeah, weird. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, one of my favorite bands just joined my favorite band. How the fuck did that happen? happen <laughs> it, it was weird jared and i had started big business and we're touring enough to i think we were in i think i've told this story before but we're in milwaukee and it was very very shitty weather uh-huh. like it, it was like wet snow very cold and we were uh, of course totally broke playing the show and just yeah. like oh my god and knowing that we're like going home to seattle where it's like more of the same. So like Jared and I were like having a drink at this club like before the show and we we're like I think we had both within like a month of each other had like randomly like both broken up with our respective girlfriends. And so we were just like working at bars and it was dark and cold mm-hmm. always. Yeah. We're like, God, like, if we're gonna be touring this much mm-hmm. and like working in bars, we should at least like go home to some place that's warm and we can get some sun at some point and our friend kevin willis uh no relation to me but uh (laughs) he was like the general manager at the cha-cha lounge in seattle yeah uh opened his own franchise in la so there's a cha-cha lounge there and we're like we could probably get jobs there Mm -hmm. move down to la and at least come home and like you know Mm -hmm. it's probably i think at that point it was cheaper to live in la than it was to live in seattle oh yeah 
It was like that for a long time. Yeah. So we're like, all right, done. And so we were just like spent the next couple months like working and saving up for the move. And we decided we're going to do it. And one night I was, I was tending bar at Hattie's Hat in Ballard. Uh-huh. I love that bar. Yeah, I love it too. I, I miss it. Jared came in and he like had this weird look on his face and he was like, the Melvins just asked me to play bass. And I was like, sweet. Now I have to find Holy a new shit. band. That's <laughs> yeah. I was, like, oh. I was like, dude, that, I was like, well, you yeah. have to do it. And he's like, <laughs> yeah, he can't say no. Yeah. And he's like, well, they want you to play drums too. Oh, and I was like, well, what? And you, you explained <laughs> that Dale had called him Whoa. to back up. Like when we were tour down the West coast, Jared and Dale knew each other. Um, Dead Low Tide, my yeah. previous band had opened for the Melvins on a West coast tour. So mm-hmm. I was friendly with Dale and we would like stay at Dale and his wife, Maureen, who's an old friend of Jared as well. Good folk. So yeah, we'd, we'd go big business. We'd go on a West coast tour and we would, and whenever we were in LA, we would stay at, Dale and Moe's place mm-hmm. and hang out and play dice and it was fun to hang out so they ended up parting ways with Kevin Root Manis and yeah. Jared was the first person they thought of and they called Jared and I guess they had an idea that they were going to do a double drummer thing for a while and the idea was originally when they were on tour with Nirvana for mm-hmm. their last tour that they ever did was that Dave Grohl was going to be the second drummer of the band okay sure and then I guess he got busy or something with his other he has a band Different band? Some other band. Some other project he's, he started up. And, uh, Some other project, yeah. <laughs> that didn't happen. So, yeah, like they were like, well, let's do it. And, and like I said, Dead Low Tide uh-huh. had opened with the Melvins. They were like, oh, like maybe he can do it. And so they sent us like a, a set list, you know, like a, a catalog spanning set list. And then yeah, huge. Jared and I worked on it for a couple, uh, two or three mm-hmm. weeks. And then we flew down to L.A. and hung out for a week and practiced with them to see if it would work. And it totally worked. And they asked us to be in the band. So we were already planning on moving to L.A. And that just like sealed the deal, of course. And yeah, then that's so cool. That was how that started. So it was already in your minds a little bit. Oh, yeah. At the time, I was actually fairly good friends with Jared, but I didn't know you very well. All of a sudden, I was like, holy shit, they're in the Melvins. Like, they just moved to L.A. Like, that's what it seemed like to me. So it's not, it's good to hear the actual story. And I, I just want to po- <laughs> poke a little bit of backstory in here. What with the whole, like, the whip and carp and Jared being, like, an obvious bass player who can kick out any sort of Melvins jams at any moment. It wasn't a big surprise that they asked him to be in the band. To me, I was so proud. I was like, oh my God, that's a dream come true. Like, in, if I knew any person who got to be asked in the Melvins, <laughs> I was so fucking stoked. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then to have both of you go down there and do that was like, it, I mean, yeah. it just made me as a Seattleite, like, well, holy fuck. I mean, I'd do the same thing. You know what I mean? Fuck, I'd moved, I'd moved to fucking anywhere to be in the Melvins. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> but that being said, like, that's, that's awesome story, man. I, I didn't realize that you were kind of thinking about, like, well, if we're touring so much, why don't we stay somewhere warm? You know, makes sense. Really does. Coming home to Seattle in the winter sucks. Well, and it was just like everything that happened with Scott Jernigan passing away. Yeah, yeah I know. And like with the Devils breaking up. And it's like we both had all this baggage mm-hmm. in Seattle. Yeah. And we both were just like kind of in between bands and working at bars all the time. So yeah. we were both like just vampires, you know, like like not yeah. ever seeing the sun and drinking too much probably. And just like it, it just felt bleak and like it just starting the band and everything. We were, we were like, I just needed a fresh start. Like it just felt like there were so many, uh, uh, I guess, just baggage in, in Seattle and yeah. like so much history. And it was just like, I, I felt like we both needed a fresh start to start this new thing and feel good about it and feel like we're forging our own path. 
Mm-hmm. So you guys, you know, you start, you go to LA, you join the Melvins. Yep. You, big business keeps going. You guys have gone on to tour with like some incredible bands. Yep. Like you've you've supported Mastodon a number of times. Uh, we got to go on tour with High on Fire. You Sweet. guys t- did a tour with Sleep recently, which is like fucking sure. huge. Yeah, those yeah. bands, obviously. And then Tool. Wait. And then yeah, a band called Tool. Never heard of them. Probably every, literally everyone has heard of. What was it like touring with Tool? The little band that could Tool. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was awesome, man. Like that was really, really fun. Those guys are super, super nice, and they took really, really good care of us. We didn't have to do anything. Like we had our. I think we were still in the. Were we in the Ram van at that point? I think we were in Bullet, and they carried all our gear for us. Like, so we didn't have to really touch our gear. So they like had someone, they had their roadies do it for you or I'm obviously they weren't doing Mm -hmm. it for you. They had like a, you know, like an area that was like gaffed off on the, whatever mega arena the show was at. And then our gear would go there and they would load it onto their truck at night and we'd show up in our empty van the next day and our gear would be there in that same area. Then we would just like fine tune it or whatever. And they would put everything on stage. We had the stage plot all set up and everything. So it was as pro as it gets. It was, it was pretty cool. Yeah, it's fun. Sounded so great. Cool. Do you, if you don't mind me asking, how many people were you playing to at the time? Uh, it, it depended. I think some of the places were like, it, it was mostly like hockey arenas. So we played a couple outdoor festivals, like the Shed, like uh-huh. the indoor-outdoor where it's like 20,000 yeah. people or whatever. Uh, I think there was one or two of those. And the rest of them were, I think, between like, 10 to 15 or like maybe five to 15. Like there were yeah, some, sure. most of the places we played were like outside of whatever major city. It, yeah. So it'd be like somewhere in Illinois that was just 30 miles away from Chicago. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But it was, it was still like a huge arena. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was, it was cool. We'd show up and, and whatever we asked for was like, we'd be in like the sports yeah. locker room. That was like our, our green room. And then we'd have, they'd have this amazing catering operation that rolls with them they take all their own cooks i've heard about that yeah yeah so it was insane like you get the meal ticket and you go and just, just like every day it was some gourmet insane i keep saying that uh <laughs> well it must have been delicious everything everything was amazing like it, it, it was really really good so we so we ate like kings we got paid really well we got to play in these arenas i got to do a, a drum solo with danny carey every night Awesome. The middle of the the tool set, which is terrifying, but also yeah, really really fun. Oh, awesome. And it was, yeah, the whole thing. <laughs> it was awesome. Now the rumor is that Tool fans are notoriously intolerant of the opening bands. Did you guys get any uh, any flack from the Tool crowd? Not really. Like I, I think we did okay. I think we were like loud enough, and I guess like rocking enough or whatever that like it wasn't. I, we kept our set short enough. That it wasn't yeah. a, uh, didn't become an issue. I think we were, yeah. I think Jared was a little disappointed that we didn't at least get some shit thrown our way. One night he actually <laughs> like, he stopped in between songs and he's like, okay, I'm going to announce the next song. No one's booed us yet. We always hear the Tool fans boo. So <laughs> after I say uh-huh. the name of the next song, you guys boo, like, boo, like thumbs down. <laughs> like, yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> he got everybody to, to boo us and throw stuff like the last night. I think it was the That's last awesome. night that we played. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we got one good one. People and then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so good for you. You guys are rocking enough. The Tool fans could handle it. And keeping the set short, which we've already mentioned, is important. I think we were just on our, I think the Murder City Devils were just on our own tour. Okay. 
And yeah, it was like, it was like a, might've been like a last minute thing that happened. But yeah, we're, it was in, I think it was Salt Lake in Utah mm-hmm. at like this, it was like a hockey arena and they, somehow we ended up on the opening slot for Cypress Hill. <laughs> oh, fuck. And I don't think that anybody thought it was a good idea, yeah. but it was so weird that we had, we had to do it. Like, of course. Uh, and yeah, it was one of the most amazing bad shows that <laughs> I've ever played in my life. Yeah. So how, how did the Cypress Hill audience take the murder? City they did not pick up what we were putting down. Yeah. They, no, they, they were no. ready for something very, very, very different than what we gave them. And they showed it. I think we got into the second, I think it was two songs and it was just, I'm going to say 5,000 people like uh-huh. booing as loud as they possibly can. Nice. And oh so God. Spencer, hey fuckers or whatever. He's like, you just sit there and boo at us. Why are you just going to boo at us? Why don't you throw some shit? <laughs> as soon as he said that, I looked up from behind the drums and it was like a tidal wave of lighters, bottle caps. <laughs> yeah. Keychains and loose change. It, it, you could see it in the air. It was like Sparta. <laughs> it's like the beginning yeah. of Gladiator. Where yeah, they shoot the, uh, yeah, the yeah, yeah. That's like it. it. Was, That's what it I'm was like about. that. It was like yeah, the rain of arrows. So I look up and I see it was like the air was just full of shrapnel all of a sudden, <laughs> and we just had to like you could hear it hitting the stage. I got hit in between my eyes by the side of a quarter. Oh my God. And it chipped a piece of bone. (laughs) It hit me square, like right in the, and, uh, what are the odds of that? So we're just like ducking and covering. And like, that was the end of the show, but they let us, uh, sweep the stage. The Uh stage was literally covered. Like you almost couldn't see the stage and it was, yeah, it was keychains, visine bottles. <laughs> what? Uh, stoners. And wow. Yeah, stoners. <laughs> well, you got to keep the change, right? Oh my God. We, we swept. I think we played Vegas the next night, but it, it was something like, it was like a hundred bucks or, or something in, in loose change. Like, we, we, like awesome, awesome bonus. Put those in the slot. That's, That's like lunch at Denny's, dude. <laughs> we also got to hang out and smoke weed with Sun Dog and be real. So that was that was cool. That's the payoff right there. They had That's us in cool. their trailer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did they acknowledge what had just happened? Like did they apologize or say, like, oh, sorry about that? No, guys. they were otherwise occupied <laughs> while uh, our set was yeah, going down. Because they had sure. better shit to do. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. (laughs) All right. Let's take a quick break and listen to some Dead Low Tide. Yeah. Dead Low Tide was a band that Cody did very briefly between Murder City Devils and Big Business. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of a weird mishmash of styles. They had most of the members of Dead Low Tide were from Murder City Devils. And then they had Mike Kunkka, who is this sort of like legendary heavy bass player from the Northwest who did Godhead Silo and Enemy Mind prior. Yeah. And I remember when they started playing people were really really curious and i was at their first or second show or something like i'll be honest it kind of went over my head a little bit at the first show it was perplexing yeah the first time i saw him i was like huh so this is what they're doing and then the second time i saw him i was like yeah i'm fucking digging this you know it was like one of those bands that you had to get your head around because they weren't like a huge giant loud noisy band totally and for me it wasn't until this album came out like I could listen to it and sort of yeah. let it soak that I really got into it. So this is one of my favorite tracks from the Dead Low Tide full length. The fishing wave 
once on tour, we were like late after a show, we're in a hotel watching TV and a late night infomercial comes on and it's one of those QVC medieval broadsword sets. Oh yeah, I want one of those. Where there's like, this is quintessential game. So there's like, it's like a, I don't know how many pieces are where it's like a a 50 piece Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy who's pitching it uh, referred to it as <laughs> it's uh, the a really great guy. collection of cuttery. It's the redneck knives guy. Yes. And it went down from a, uh, the smallest uh-huh. knife they had. <laughs> it was called the Spanish Triple Threat. It was like a, a five-inch dagger that had a, a, a scabbard or like a sheath. Which attached to that was a three-inch dagger. And then on the outside of that was a tiny, tiny oh, little knife oh, on good. the outside yeah. of that. So that was the Spanish Triple Threat. And then the collection went... All the way, all the way up to the Dragon Master, the which Dragon was like Master. a six-foot broadsword, which looked exactly like you would think. We're watching this, and Gabe, I look over at Gabe, he's doing and he's it. on he's the doing phone, it. giving his credit card number. <laughs> so he bought this collection of, yes. you know, he's down from the tiniest the knife up to the six-foot broadsword and everything in between. Nice. So everybody got knives for Christmas, like some crazy... Uh, <laughs> engraved he engraved them all but uh yeah we got this show opening for motorhead at bumbershoot so we incorporated uh-huh. the swords uh i think we went out and bought i think guitar center had a special on bc rich the the rich bitch uh guitars oh yeah the shitty ones for a hundred bucks yeah yeah we bought two of those and then yeah they're pointy and at the time they yeah. were the shittiest and they were selling it for like a hundred bucks but they were not worth and those anything are, describe you to know. the people that those are very those are very pointy guitars the like design they, of the guitar looks like you can open a bottle of beer with any part of the guitar <laughs> like every, yeah. every single part of it is a bottle opener yes yeah so it's all yeah it's all like hooked in. yep yep <laughs> so we wore corpse paint and we put we we're very very excited yeah. very excited mm-hmm. about opening for motorhead oh, as you and should so be. we pulled out the stops we brought all the, all the swords and the knives uh the bc rich uh guitars uh we wore corpse paint spencer had a black cape on he brought a hatchet somehow you had a hatchet and chopped the mic cable we got in trouble for that yeah, you would and then i'd be pissed so if we put on that. like our we put on our biggest show we could put on mm-hmm. and as we're getting off stage and just like oh my god uh lemmy is coming up the stairs to get ready uh-huh. And we're like, oh my God, we're so excited to play with you. Thanks for having us. And he just looked at Spencer and he's like, yeah, yeah. Sounded good from the trailer. <laughs> yeah, it was, I, it was, so it's just like the Cypress Hill thing. Cause that's all they're hearing. Yeah. It was the most perfect interaction you could have. <laughs> yes. Yes. It was, it was great. That was a Lemmy version of being like good show. Yeah. You know, when you just say that to a band and you really don't. <laughs> oh, yeah, mean yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It sounded good from where I was totally comfortable right. and hanging yeah. out. Yeah, it, was, it was great. <laughs> My friend Liz met Lemmy on a plane once. Like, she walked on and he was like sitting in first class and she ended up coming up during the flight uh, and just like, Lemmy, I'm your, I'm your biggest fan. I just wanted an autograph. And he just looked at her and he went, oh, I thought you looked familiar. <laughs> That was that was his response to that. When anyone like, says ah. that's your biggest fan, that's what you say. God damn it, he's a genius. He's, he knew it. He's he's the coolest. Yeah. He's the coolest. Yeah. <laughs> we were definitely in in the the ambulance, mm-hmm. the ambulance tour bus that we had. Bus. It's it's a van. We used to be able to when we come to L.A. The Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel before it is what it is now. Uh-huh. It was like, actually a cheap place to stay. Mm-hmm. Like you could actually affordably hang out there. It's a little bit more rundown, but the pool is incredible. 
was awesome. So we'd all get, that was our, you know, end of tour or when we we're going through LA, we'd get the yeah, cabana cool. rooms, which are just right off the pool at the Roosevelt. They have a hot tub and stay there. And it was just amazing. Like super, super fun. They let you pretty much do whatever you wanted. We never got in trouble there. We definitely probably should have, but it was, it was, it was really fun. And uh, one time on the way to Edward, like driving into LA. And I think <laughs> the thing had just happened sort of recently where Rick James got in trouble for mm. holding a woman against her will or something like that in smoking crack. And, and like, it was, oh, <laughs> yeah, I'd never expect that from Rip James. That's that's not something you I would know yeah. do. We were talking about um, there's another incident. I don't know if Corey yes. uh, told you about the, yes, the Flavor Flav cheeseburger story. <laughs> yeah, we got that so one. I think yep. that had happened, and we were debating like, okay, who would you rather smoke crack with, Flavor Flav or Rick James? Rick James, hands down. Yeah, Rick James. Talking about the pros and cons about that. So. We get into LA and we're uh, pulling into the Roosevelt Hotel in the parking lot in the back and you have to like valet park your car. And so we're parking the van. Everybody goes to their room already. So I'm in charge of like dealing with the van. So I'm sitting at the, there's a stairwell from the back of the Roosevelt that goes up to a landing, which then goes up to the lobby of the hotel. And I'm talking to the valet. Everybody else is gone already. And I look up. I hear some people talking and they're standing on the landing and I just see a pair of like legs in a white linen suit. And there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of ladies standing around these legs. And I, all of a sudden I hear, they all start screaming. They're like, Oh Rick, Oh Rick. And you hear someone's like, like she starts scatting. And I was like, what? And I look up and it's Rick James is standing at the top of the landing surrounded by a bunch of ladies and he's wearing a white linen suit and he's got like uh, short cropped yeah. dreadlocks, like a bob. He's still got made it. Of dreadlocks. And I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. He looked amazing. And I couldn't believe we were just talking yeah. about what we were just talking about. And there he is. Everybody's gone. So I'm like, oh my God. I have yeah. to like, <laughs> yeah, proof. Get his autograph or something. I have to do something. And I didn't have anything with me. Like every, my bags were gone, everything. So I had to run. Yeah. Run to one of the rooms, like pound on the door. I couldn't explain fast enough what was happening. I was like, Rick James is in the lobby right now. I need uh, something to write on a piece of paper. <laughs> I got like a, a spiral notebook thing and I was like, grabbed it, <laughs> ran, 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 ran back. <laughs> they hand you the Bible. Yeah. That would have been better. As soon as I got back, there was a limo sitting in the, like the, the valet area <laughs> and he had just stepped into the limo and closed the door. I was like, Ugh. and I, I ran up to the limo and like knocked on the window and of course it just came down. Yeah. I just saw a pair of eyes, you know, it just, he just cracked the window enough to look at me. And he's like, yeah. I was like, Mr. James, sorry to bother you. Mr. James. Fans. Yeah. I was, uh, that's like, I, I wanted to be respectful. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, uh, you don't want to be like, yo, Rick. I didn't want to scare him off. You don't you know, know him. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> he's a gentleman. <laughs> Clearly. Uh, <laughs> I, like, I, I was like, explain that we were, I was like, we're in a band on tour. Uh, is there any chance I could get you to sign an autograph to the band? And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah. And he really stared the window and he's like, what's the name of the band? And it's the Murder City Devils. And without blinking, he wrote, to the Murder City Devils, peace and sex. Love, Rick James. And then he handed me the pad. Oh, bless him. Left. Bless <laughs> him. That, was, that, 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 that is so cool changed. that he did that for you. Yeah. So good. Fuck. Uh, yeah. It, you know? As I understand that, 
that went into the tour archives along with Flavor Flav's cheeseburger, right? As it should have. I hope so. I, I hope the game has a vault somewhere that with is all the stuff in it. Cataloged. Epic. And, epic. It's like the end of Indiana Jones. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah. That's exactly what it's yeah. like. God damn it. So I understand that you have – so a lot of bands on tour get pulled over by the cops. And I think a, a band in a van is a pretty tasty target. Mm-hmm. Usually it's like some sort of scumbag driving. Stickers. Usually the van is old and crappy. <laughs> Probably looks like some sort of like traveling drug dealing operation. Yeah. Pretty common. And I think the temptation to, I think even once a cop pulls over a band, yeah. the suspicion of these guys have weed oh, yeah. is probably super high. Oh, yeah. And so it's pretty common that the bands get pulled over and get fucked with. Definitely happened to me a number of times. Definitely happened to Jeff a number of times. But as I understand it, you have a story of stories yeah. about getting fucked with by the cops. This is on a Melvin's tour, and we weren't even driving like a crappy van or anything. We had two like nice new uh-huh. sprinter Okay. Uh, rental vans. We didn't really worry too much about getting pulled over because you look yeah. shady or something. But yeah, we're heading into uh, Houston and right. I'm driving. Sitting shotgun is Tim Moss, mm-hmm. the Melvin's tour manager at the time. And in the back, we have Jared and Dale and one of our roadies, Ricky. Oh, I'm forgetting somebody. Not the worst thing in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah I don't know. It was, it was a, it was a traumatic. <laughs> it should be burning my brain. But uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, as we are getting to the city limits, you know, I pass a, a state trooper car that's parked on the side of the road and I check my speed and I'm fine. You know, I look in the rearview mirror and sure enough, he pulls out behind us, lights come on. I'm like, okay, we're getting pulled over. And Tim, our tour manager is like, were you speeding? I'm like, no, I think we're fine. I, I just, I don't know. So we pull over and this guy walks up, this trooper, and he is in full, like, Buford T Justice yeah, 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 yeah. mode. Like he this got the flat brimmed hat, the mirrored sunglasses. So frightening. The guy is huge. He's like six, seven, mm-hmm. six, eight. Uh, yeah, just Texas a monster. cops are frightening. Texas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're frightening. Yeah. Big, big, big dude. And he, you know, like, yeah. tell right just his demeanor was like knocks <laughs> on the window and he's like, Yeah, where you where are you going so fast? And I was like, I'm just trying to get to Houston. He's like, Yeah, you and everybody else, buddy. Let's see your license. All right. Like Hand him the license, and he's, he's like, ask me about like uh, who owns the vehicle. And I'm like, well, it's a rental. And he's like, well, but you're on the agreement, right? I'm like, yes, I'm licensed to drive this vehicle. Like, I'm, I'm, and he's like, but so it's your vehicle. I'm like, no, like it's a rental. He's like, well, you're responsible for. It. He's like trying to trap me into like saying something. I was like, I don't know what you're trying to get me to say, man. Like, I, it's a rental car, and we're a band on the road, and I am license to drive it like i'm on the rental agreement he's like so if i were to like find anything in this van you'd be responsible right and i was like i don't know what you're trying to get me to say he tells me step out of the car step out of the car okay so he brings me around to the back of the the car like all the way down the back and he's like all right he's like who's in charge here and i'm like i our tour manager sitting up front he's like okay you stay right here he goes around to the front and I'm watching him around the corner of the vehicle and he is talking to the tour manager and uh, he's holding a clipboard and I watch him uh-huh. drop something from his clenched hand that's holding uh, the clipboard. Oh, what's that? I wonder. He drops like a little bundle and he's like, oh, what's this? And he reaches down and his <laughs> bag of weed and he's like, uh, you know what this means? And he starts yelling at our tour manager. He's like, you know what this no. means, right? He's like, this is probable cause. This is PC. I can search your vehicle now. And Tim's like, that's not mine. He's like, oh, you mean to tell me? He also, he pulled us over by like, there's nothing. Like there's an abandoned gas station. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, just nothing. Like we're in the middle of nowhere. He's like, I, I pulled you over here. 
And I just look down oh, and God. find this bag of weed on the ground. <laughs> like you, you tell me you didn't throw it out the window just now. And he's like, no, like, all right, I don't smoke weed. Like, blah, blah. And he's like, everybody out of the car, pulls us out of the car, makes us like, mm-hmm. he's like, I have probable cause now to search your vehicle. So I need you all to stand in front of the vehicle. And Rick, he's our roadie. He's like, well, can we watch you search the vehicle? And he's like, no, you have to stand over here where you can't see what I'm doing. <laughs> like, <okay>. <laughs> <laughs> so we're like standing all in front of the vehicle and he comes back and he's like, has a backpack. He's like, whose is this? And Dale's like, that's mine. He's like, huh, that didn't take very long. Come with me, Mr. Krober. And he takes Dale to the back where we can't see what's going on for a while. And then he brings us all around to the back and he's like, Dale is uh, handcuffed in the front seat of the squad car. (laughs) Like Tim goes over to Dale. He's like, what's going on? He's like, I'm being set up. I'm being set up. (laughs) And and the trooper sets down Dale's backpack. He's like, I want you all to see this. Opens Dale's backpack. Pulls out a set of scales, what? like <laughs> yeah. drug scales, sets it up in the car, pulls out a bunch of baggies, pulls <laughs> out a just cartoon huge size bag. It's like a, a yellow and blue make green Ziploc bag. Oh, no. Jam packed full of white powder. <laughs> puts that down in the bag. And then he pulls out a gun. Oh, yeah. Oh, he pulls out like a, a pistol. Like a, a, it's like a, it's like a 45, like. A gun. So he's like, uh, your friend's going to jail for a long time, and you're all accomplices. So it's like, this is intent to distribute, and you have a deadly weapon. And so we're looking at this like, it's obviously, yeah. fla- like, I've seen cocaine before. You know what I mean? It's like, this yeah. is a bag of flour. So I'm like, okay, this is, we're getting set up, but I feel like that's worse somehow. Yeah. Like, like we're being like railroaded in some weird way. And yeah, TV. where's the cops? Like, I'm, like, yeah. There's no cameras. There's nobody else around. All I thought, like, yeah. also, if, like, there's that much cocaine here, why isn't there helicopters? Sure. And like, sure, somebody should have an M16 to the back of my head right now or something. Like, like I, I don't know. Like, so I'm like, this is weird. I don't know what's happening. But one thing's for sure is I'm going to spend the night in jail tonight. Like, we're going to jail <laughs> in Texas. That much is happening. Until uh, we figure this out. So I'm like, who do I call? Who's my phone call? Who do I call to get me out of jail in Texas? And I'm thinking, do I call a booking agent? Do I call, like, I, I, oh my God. And so he's just like, this whole time he's yelling at us, you know, like, you know, I just think you just like do whatever you want, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, so what what was your band's name again? And I'm like, we played a band called the Melvins. And he's like, never even heard of you. (laughs) And he's like, so you're just being mean. Like he's going on and on. And then he finally, he's like, my friend, Adam, Adam Jones from Tool. And I was like, what? He's like, oh "Oh, yeah, he wanted me to tell you guys that you're pumped. (laughs) This motherfucker. I was like, you fucking asshole. Uh, so it turns out Buzz, who was yeah. in the other van, we had two sprinter vans. So Buzz oh, hooked man. it up with Adam. And then Jared was the mole in our van. Jared was the, the mole? Know where we were at the time, <laughs> so he could come pull us over. Jared was the mole. He's in on it. So uh, I still. You got to get him, him for back for just a little bit. Something's yeah. got to happen. Fucking Jared. Let him, so that guy. Someday. <laughs> That's a state trooper that is friends with Adam Jones from Tool who pulls over bands. Just to fuck with them, right? Yes. Ugh. Yeah, but since he comes to cool. every show, like every time Big Business is in Houston, he comes to the show. What? Or Murder City Devils. We like stayed at his house a couple times. Uh, uh, he's he's a nice guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Awesome. Hey, uh, have you all ever heard that Killdozer song? The pig was cool. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Go and listen yeah, to that I song. I haven't heard that song. 
that yeah. song, it's it's one of their seven inches. It's fucking awesome. The pig was cool. Trust me. Just right. listen to that song because that's what it reminds me of. <laughs> but he he ended up, uh, you know, he comes to the show and he, he's like, just do whatever you normally do. Like he's like, I'm definitely not gonna bust you for anything. That's <laughs> he's a fan. He's like, say you were to smoke a joint or something. He's like, I don't want to get him in any trouble or anything. But like he's like, I don't even bust people for weed unless. And he started telling us all these stories about. Um, there's like suicide runs, I guess, from Mexico where they like, well, hollow out a car, not even trying to hide it, but they'll like take uh-huh. everything, all the seats, everything out yeah. and just pack it full of bales of weed, just enough room for the driver to sit in there. And then they just make a mad dash for it. And just so, try and make they're it. They're just like playing well. the odds. that So they're not even trying to be sneaky yeah. about it. They're just like, it's like a game of speed. Like oh, they're just crazy. trying to sneak over the border and then like run to wherever they're going. Like he's like, that's usually who I pull over for weed. <laughs> that's crazy. I think this is a good time to take a break and listen to another big business track. Uh, This is another one off of their newest album. So we've been talking mostly about touring in America, but you guys have toured like all over the world. Do you have any uh, stories from across the pond, maybe like Japan or Europe or anything like that? How's that been for you guys? Europe's always fun. It's it's definitely different. It's I'm really glad I've been able to like travel there in a way that most people don't get to. I think going there like for a vacation or something like that would be a totally different experience in terms of the things that you see and the things that you get to know about. Like usually playing a show somewhere, you get to meet somebody who knows a little bit, has a deeper knowledge of the area than, you know, you get to see some secret stuff that probably (laughs) had you been going there just cold, like a tourist, you would never find out about or know about. But um, it's a cool way to see it. Yeah, there's so much there, like so much history. It's really crazy. I think our first tour over over there, the Murder City Devils went with the band Zeke mm-hmm. from right. Seattle. That's a good lineup. Yeah. It was fun. They're so good live, like really great live. And uh, Jeff Matz, who was mm-hmm. playing bass for Zeke at the time, what, is now yeah. plays in High on yeah, Fire. We know Jeff. Great, great guy. Such a badass. Like he's yeah, I remember one of the most him. insane musicians I've ever seen. And a great dude, as you said. He is. He is. He's a very great dude. We had this bus driver. So it was Murder City Devils and Zeke were on the same tour bus. We had like this double decker mm-hmm. tour bus. I think I had like 18 bucks. 18 bunks, sorry. We had this bus driver from Germany named Jörg, who it was his first tour ever. Like he'd never gotten his license, but he'd never been on a tour. So it was his first time. And he was really funny. He, I, he's probably like close to 40 at the time. He had like a big bushy mustache and he wore Birkenstocks. Hippie. He's a very dry German. Like his, he had a sense of humor, but it was very, very dry. Like mm. he would talk on the PA for the bus all the time. And you would be like, we stopped in Barcelona once and he was like, okay, 24-hour beach party. <laughs> we got off and like went to the beach of Barcelona, and he's there, like standing on the beach with his like bath towel and his black socks <laughs> and his Birkenstocks. He's just kind of like surveying the beach, and he's like, "Oh, there are lots of Germans here." We're like, "What?" He's like, "I'm sorry, my accent's so bad," but he's like, "There are lots of Germans here now." 
Like, how do you know that? He's like, easy. They are the fat ones screaming for beer. <laughs> and then he just like walks back. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> that was your opening. He's really funny and he's really like excited to be on tour in, in his own way. So he was excited to be like part of the crew and stuff. So we had like a day off and we were driving through his hometown. Oh, that's cool. And he was very, very excited to show us where he lived. And his, so he's like, we will stop at my apartment and we'll spend the night there. The bus will stay there and we can go to my bar that's across the street that he always goes to. And we're like, great, sounds awesome. So we get there and it's like, he lives in the middle of nowhere in Germany. It's just a, a two lane highway mm-hmm. going to the horizon in both directions and an apartment building. And directly across the street from the apartment building is the bar. That's it? The restaurant. And it's just fields <laughs> like like. Um, that's it there's no street lights we're in the middle of nowhere i'm like okay (laughs) so you know like we we get parked out there and he shows us his apartment and everything he's like okay cool and he's like let's go to the bar he introduces us to all his like friends like one of the guys there is a electric wheelchair i guess he used to be a bus driver and he got into an accident so he can't drive anymore so he has his he's in the wheelchair and the only word he says is shiza 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 so he would say it in different ways and it would mean different things. <laughs> what? But that was the word he said okay. to express himself. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, there's a couple other characters in there, but it was this old, like, uh, it wasn't Bavarian, but it was like this old wood, dark tavern mm-hmm. that looked like it had been there forever. And there, everybody is really friendly and, and they're like, what do you want? What do you want? So we, I sit up at the bar next to Jeff from Zeke and he like is looking behind the bar and he sees like all these little tiny bottles in like a bandolier, like a Chewbacca bandolier. There's like a. Oh yeah, sure. Like a uh, Underbauer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like. Underberg. Yeah. Underberg or whatever. Like they're like little Jaeger bottles, but. It, On the bartender? It, it, it looked older. That shit's and, good. Oh, it wasn't that. It was okay. like some. It looked older and something else. And because he, he was asking them, he's like, "What? What is that?" And he, they're like, "Oh, no, no, no!" They're like, "It's the medicine. It's the medicine." And he's like, uh, "I want. I, I want to try it." And they're like, "Ah, uh, uh, not mm-hmm. for not for drinking." And he's like, "No, I want one." And so like they pour him. It's like a, a little shot glass on a stem. It looks like a miniature wine glass. And they empty one of the bottles into it. And it's like pitch black, but oh. chunky. There's like stuff oh, in boy. it, like chunks of stuff inside of it. <laughs> and he's like, uh, it, it's it's some kind of herbal thing. And so he like knocks it back oh, wow. and like falls out of his chair, coughing. <laughs> and everybody's just like, ah. Oh. He's like, he's like oh, coughing on the guy. So of course, everybody's like, I want one. Oh, like, boy. Gave, we force them to give us all a shot of the medicine. Yeah, it's like this herbal Vile, super strong. Came to find out later that what you are supposed to do with it is pour it into hot steamy uh-huh. water when you have a cold, and then inhale the vapors. It's like Vicks vapor rub in liquid form. So that's oh, so they just basically think that you guys are idiots at that point because you're drinking their sure. Vicks vapor rub. Yes, cool. Exactly. <laughs> I, I'd like to think we were endearing idiots, but I, I don't know. Sure, you were. I'm, I'm sure that you know they were just like, ah, whatever. Let's go for it. So <laughs> that episode ends, and there, there's like food and bar snacks and stuff, and we're just like, hey out and I'm kind of like I got my gigantic mug of beer and I'm like walking around the bar checking it out and there's like a separate dining room Mm -hmm. that's all dark it's not being used and I was like oh and I looked in there it's like a little banquet hall and one of the walls is covered floor to ceiling wall to wall Uh with medals like military medals I'm like oh and I as I get closer and closer and I could see the detail I'm like oh (laughs) it's all World War II (laughs) <laughs> like tank infantry, like, like Nazi, uh, sure. it's all Third Reich. Metal. They're just oh, like, man. oh, we're in 
Germany. Yeah, they're like, these are the locals and these yeah. are the people who won. <laughs> we got these because we died in the war or whatever, right? Like, there's a lot of, lots of uh, people served. I guess. I don't know. I don't Yeah. yeah. Right. I understood that, that all that stuff and maybe was... this is why they're being so nice to us because we're white. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice folks. <laughs> no, I, I, don't, I don't know what the deal was. I, I didn't, we were stuck there in the middle of nowhere, so we just kind of like mm-hmm. went one by one, like went back onto the bus and got our party and done there. I don't know what the context is exactly, but I'm scared to find out exactly what it is. <laughs> but that was your bus driver's bar. <laughs> yeah. It was. Again, uh, benefit of the doubt, yeah. like maybe it's uh, uh, historically, I don't, I don't know. That's what I'm thinking. It's got to be some sort of. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's got to be somewhere I, I mean, can the, sleep at night. A bunch of that paraphernalia is like not legal anymore, right? Like you're supposed to hand it over, aren't you? That yeah. was my understanding, yeah, is that all that stuff's totally But yeah. anyway, that was my first trip to Germany. <laughs> There you go. Welcome to Deutschland. <laughs> yeah. You're going on to become a very uh, successful bus driver. Good. Driving likes of uh, Britney Spears Nuh-uh. and Bob Dylan. Nuh-uh. And we crossed paths again later on a Melvin's tour. He drove for us again nice. later. Hmm. It'd probably been like 14 years or something like that Ooh. since I've seen him. But he looked the same. And you, he instead of being enthused about his career, he seemed like he was uh, heading toward the twilight mm-hmm. of his bus driving career. He yeah. seemed a little more jaded than he was at the beginning so he'd awesome. seen some yeah, shit I, that I, makes I, sense I gather. you would after 14 years of driving a fucking tour bus yeah. in Europe <laughs> We got to play some Melvin's. Got to. Got to play something with Cody on it. You know, there's some crushing records that he's on, just remarkably heavy, and two drummers at the same time. What's your take on that, John? Dude, so like two drummers at the same time is ridiculous. It's, mm-hmm. such, a, it's such a challenge if you think about like the live setting of just like, Doing that and having those two people be so in sync to have it sound good. And then also you think about recording it too. Yeah, just that's another incredible challenge. Like A, how do you play it on a record so that it sounds good? And then B, how do you even mix the record? Yeah. So that you hear both drummers. And I think Melvin's with Cody and Jared just nailed it. They just did it so well. There's very few heavy bands that have pulled it off. Kylesa being another one. Yeah. Um, No Means No notably did some live stuff with two drummers. Totally. Yeah, I actually remember Cody telling me an anecdote from when he was playing with Dale, learning uh-huh. how, to, how to do this record, basically. And he told me something that blew my mind, which is that Dale plays his fills and his little like accents exactly the same every single time. Oh yeah, it's like a robot. Which is crazy. If you listen to a Melvin's record, it sounds like Dale's impro- improvising, but he's not. It does, yeah, but they're written. It's all in his head. And so there was a challenge to sort of like figure out how to memorize... Dale's memorization, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> I can't even believe that. So keep that in mind when we listen to this because the drums are like, I mean, they're not crazy and all over their place, but they're doing some interesting stuff and there's some sort of like accents and fills that those two guys had to nail and have in yeah. think perfectly. And we played with Melvin's and mm-hmm. I saw them a bunch during this yeah. time where Cody was playing with them and they pulled it off live too. It was yeah, just they did. fucking perfect.
as I understand it, you have another harrowing story from heading across the Pacific, not the Atlantic. Yeah, we did a Melvin's tour. We played the Soundwave Festival, uh-huh. which is an Australian festival. Mm-hmm. And on either side of the Australian festival, we started in New Zealand and we're ending in Japan. This is in 2011. We managed to hit two major earthquakes, one in uh, Christchurch, New Zealand. Oh. And then on the way out again, <laughs> the Japan earthquake, we were there in Tokyo when that hit. Oh, the big one. I remember that. Yeah. It's the big one. Yeah. And I remember reading yeah. that you guys were in both places at both earthquakes. That's insane. So what was that like when it actually went down? What was it, it like? It bananas. Both of the quakes were very different. Mm-hmm. In Christchurch, New Zealand, like when we came in, this is also we're touring with a high on fire mm-hmm. so outside of the festival that we were playing uh, all the sideshows were with high on fire so we were with uh, jeff Matz again and you know matt yeah. and des and so christchurch is on like the southernmost island so i think we played one or two shows and then went to that show i think we flew i i'd never been there before but like we're as we're driving into town it's like you know downtown christchurch was like a lot of older buildings and there's scaffolding everywhere and we're asking our driver we're like why is there are they redoing everything and like he was like no like six months ago there was a major crazy earthquake so all the structures have been totally weakened so they're like reinforcing everything because there was this major earthquake and i was yeah. like oh god crazy so we played the show and then like the next day i'm like i wake up in the morning and we're staying right downtown and then you know go get a coffee and i'm like walking around checking it out taking pictures and stuff and time to go to the airport we load up we go to the airport and as we get inside the airport you know we everything we're traveling with we can carry so it's like guitars and cymbals and kick pedals yeah. or whatever so we each have like two bags yeah. we're flying with so we're putting our gear on the belt at the ticket counter when the quake hits and you know how like a lot of airports have subways uh-huh. underneath and you like the subway will go underneath and you can feel the floor shake and you're like oh it's a subway yeah that, it felt like that, but it kept going. And I was like, oh. And I turn, I look behind me, and Buzz and Dale and Jared are standing there. And I'm like, uh. And I, behind me, all the three ladies that are working at the ticket counter. Uh-huh. And one of them screams, oh my God, we're all going to die. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what? I, I'm like, what? That's not and what you want to I turn around and like, I realize it's an earthquake. And Buzz goes, grab the gear, grab the gear. So like, the gear's on the conveyor belt, like going into the, like the bowels of the airport or whatever. So we like, jump on the gear, grab it all off and leave, get out of the building. The quake lasted like a long time. Like we get outside of the airport and we're standing out. There's like a, a, I don't know, like a six or seven story parking garage out there. So we're standing out in the parking lot watching this building just like sway from side to side. Holy shit, that is a long earthquake. It was a long, it was pretty long. You could see all the cars, you know, it's like open air. So you could see the cars parked in there. And so you could see all the cars like rattling around inside the building that's rattling around. So we're just like, oh my God. And just waiting out there for it to stop. Yeah, I, I don't know how long it lasted, but Christchurch at the time didn't have great like cell phone reception or like there wasn't like universal Wi-Fi uh-huh. everywhere. So it all went away after the quake. So we couldn't like attach any network or, or the networks were overloaded because everybody's calling and everything. So I, we couldn't get through to anybody or find anything out or access the internet or anything like that. So we're just like stuck in this parking lot trying to like, you know, hear word from inside what's happening. We ended up standing there for like hours and hours. Like I want to say like three or four hours, just like standing in the parking lot, waiting to hear something from somebody. And Tim Moss, our tour manager is trying to get word, trying to find something. And the airport's closed down. They evacuate everybody from the airport. And finally somebody comes and gets us and like takes us away to this. uh, It's one of the annex like office buildings of one of the airlines. So it's like this one story brick building that has 
like a TV and some vending machines. Uh-huh. And it's just like an office building for the, you know, the people who work for the airlines or whatever. So they have a TV on it there. And that's when we see like where we stayed, like downtown Christchurch is a pile of rubble. Oh no. And we, we oh, missed the wow. quick, uh, we missed it by like 30 minutes. So oh, from the time we Jesus. left downtown Holy Christchurch shit. to the time we were at the airport in the quake hit, it was 30 minutes. So the hotel we were staying at, like everything that I looked at and took pictures of that morning was level. Gone. Like everything was just a pile of gravel. Damn. You know, we were there for hours before we found out like that was the severity of, of the quake. So we're just like, holy shit. And we're just like trying to figure out, yeah, like, the roads are closed. I don't know if this is true or not, but someone said like the runway cracked. So they like couldn't land or take off any planes from the airport. Uh, all the rental cars were taken. Of course. And so we were there for hours. And finally somebody, somebody found a minivan. It was like the last minivan on the lot. And they, they brought it, both bands piled in and we drove to the North part of the Island and stayed in like a hostel uh-huh. and got on a ferry the next day to get back to the Northern Island. Wow. I think we missed one show or two shows. We played one more show mm-hmm. and then went to Australia after that. So we were able to like get out of there. Mm-hmm. So that was the beginning of the tour. Holy shit. <laughs> and then we did, yeah, a whole Australian tour of the Saturday Festival, which is where you like, you like fly to every show. Yeah, you fly in Australia. It's huge. It's, it's a yeah. continent. Yes. They don't have freeways like they do in Europe or America where you can like drive between cities. You have to fly city to city in Australia. Well, that's because it's so far away from city to city and there's nothing in between, man. Yeah, yeah it's massive. But it, it was really cool. Like I've never been there before. And the tour was great and it was fun to play. You know, every night was like a huge festival. So we, we played right after Rob Zombie every night. <laughs> we played on the stage next to us. So. While we were setting up every night, we got to see the entirety of Rob Zombie's set. Which was a big production yeah. at the time. There's a, <laughs> guy has a potty mouth. I'm sorry. He really swears a lot. <laughs> um, but the guys in the Bronx were on the tour, and the band Fucked Up was on oh, the tour. Great. Oh, cool. and, yeah. uh, there's a lot of good people to hang out Rad. with. It was, it was really a fun tour to do. And then, to, to close it out, we went to Japan, so we played Nagoya, Osaka, and then the last show was in Tokyo. Mm-hmm. And while we were on stage sound checking in Tokyo, the big quake hit. Fukushima quake hit. So, oh my god! <laughs> and booking this trip, I went to Japan once before for the Mount Fuji festival. So I was like in Japan for maybe forty eight hours. Uh-huh. Like we flew into the festival, played the festival. I had like an hour to like walk around down in Tokyo, and then we had to leave. So um, Jared and I booked our flights back forty eight hours after the show. So we'd have two days in Japan. The promoter paid for the hotel room. So we had a free hotel room like in Shibuya District, downtown Tokyo. Sure. So we we're like, yeah, when are we ever going to be in Tokyo again? Who knows? Let's take two days and hang out. It's the end of tour. Agreed. Yeah, We should be fine. So we did that. And the venue itself was probably, uh, it was like the biggest show of tour for us, for the Melvins and High on Fire. So I think it was like 1,400 or 1,500 capacity. Mm-hmm. So it was a big concrete building downtown and there's like an underground parking garage. So we got shuttled in from the airport. We went into this underground tunnel to like this huge concrete you know, parking garage and they took us up in a freight elevator and it opened right out onto the stage. So we're like, oh, okay. And they're like, okay, go. So we started sound checking and then we're setting up the drums and, you know, Dale and I set up side to side and Dale's like checking his drums and he does this like, bram, like this like big flam fill. Uh And I felt the stage jolt the stage just like moved when he did it. And I was like, whoa. And I looked at him like, what was that? And I looked at him and his eyes were like 
saucers, mm-hmm. like dinner plates. His eyes were just huge. And I was like, what? And the shaking didn't stop. Oh. And I looked up at the lighting rig and the PA system and like the lighting rig above us, both the PA speakers were just swinging side to side. Oh, and man. I looked back at Dale and we both like went no fucking yeah. way. Uh, and we just like, fuck. And so we like jumped up and we both realized like at the same moment that we had no fucking idea how to get out of the building. Oh no. Cause they brought us from this parking garage and it's this huge building. I have no idea where to look for an exit besides like the back of the theater. Yeah. And it's huge. I'm like, I don't even know. It's like in a, a multiplex of buildings, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, sometimes like venues, like the knitting factory or something, it's in a mall, yeah. you know, it's like inside. And this was like that. It was like this huge building. So this venue was part of this other building. So I was like, I have no idea if that's just leads to another maze or what. So there's a door on the side of the stage, like right off the stage, it says exit. So we both like jump up and like hit the panic bar, go down the stairwell, go down another stairwell, go down another stairwell. And I'm like, I don't think this is where we want to be, dudes. Like we're three flights down. I have no idea where we <laughs> yeah. are. I, I know I know that we're way below street level. So like if something happens at the building, I don't think I want to be here. Uh, yeah. So we run back up, back onto the stage and I open the door on the stage. The quake is still going this whole Jesus time, by the Christ. way. I think it lasted like over four oh, minutes. That is insane. Wow. So it's still going. Jared, who's like on stage left, I see him. He's like hunkered down in the door frame, which is like a pretty thick door frame yeah. of the freight elevator that we came up in. Big enough for like a body. So I'm like, that seems like a good place as any to hide out. So like still looking at like all the lighting rig, all the speakers yeah. that are just like going side to side like crazy. I like ran across the stage. And just like hunkered down next to Jared, who's filming with his camera. Oh, gee. oh no. Yeah. Like, you okay? He's like, I'm okay. It seems like we're not under anything. I mean, we're up. I don't want to really run around anymore. Like, I'd rather <laughs> like wait for this thing to end. Yeah. Yeah. And Buzz and Dale jumped off the front of the stage and ran toward the back of the building and like got out. And we just like, just hung out there. And it, yeah, it seemed like it lasted forever. Like it, it just kept going and going and going. And it's a weird place to be in your mind because you're just like, I like, is the world cracking yeah. in half? Yeah. Like what? Yeah, I can't. I, I've never, you yeah, have no control at all over any of it. Like the building could collapse on your head. You just don't know what to do. Like there's no protocol really besides like get out of the building. Yeah. And uh, finally it, it stopped. And this is to say like the 48 hours that we were there after that, there was an aftershock like every 20 to 30 minutes. Oh my God. Like it stopped and we're just like, okay, I think we should make a break for it. And we like got off the stage, ran to the back of the theater, found our way outside into this alley where the rest of the dudes were. And I got to say like, there's, you know, there's people on the street outside and everybody was pretty calm Uh as opposed to like New Zealand where people were flipping out. Like those ladies who were like, we're all going to die. Like everybody was kind of like, I saw one girl, like she had to be like 14 or something like that was upset and was like kind of crying, but everybody else was like smoking or just kind of hanging out. Like, yeah, that's a big one. Like they've been through it before, you know? Sure. Yeah. So I was like, all right. So everybody's just kind of like standing around and uh, somewhere in the trying to get off the stage, like going through a door or something, Dale managed to, he dislocated his pinky finger. Oh, what? Like on a door or something like that. So his pinky finger was out of joint. So our manager at the time, Dave Curran, who plays bass in Unsane, mm-hmm. and it was our sound guy tour manager at the time, had to figure out how to get Dale to a doctor somewhere so they could like put his finger back in (laughs) so they went off to do that and we were just like kind of standing outside for a long time again like every 20 minutes or so there'd be like an aftershock so you're just kind of like is this starting again yeah and then finally we like fuck it we dashed back inside and like grabbed our you know flyable airline bags with like our pants and underwear or whatever and then like grab those and our hotel that we were staying at was like 
walkable, like right down this alley, right down the street. So we got checked into the hotel, put our stuff down and just kind of like regrouped. And there's like a, a bar right across the street, like an open air tavern. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And they had TVs and everything. And so we were like, oh, this is like hours too, and hours after the initial quake. So someone's like, you want to get a beer? And it's like, yeah, fuck yes, I want to get you a beer. You want to get yes, two beers. And like we grabbed a beer. I'm like, yeah. And like we're watching the TV and they're showing like live, they're showing the tsunami happening. Oh, man. And like cars getting swept oh, away fuck. and, and oh, all this shit. We're just like, that, yeah. holy fuck. It was unbelievable. Like same thing in in Christchurch, yeah. where it was like I had no idea this how bad it was until I got in front of a TV that worked and like watching what's happening. It's like oh my god. So it was really mind bending. And you know, we got into our room, which is like on the second story, and same thing. Like every twenty minutes, there would be another big aftershock. Yeah. Uh, so Buzz and Dale and Dave decided they wanted to get the fuck out of there immediately. So they get a car and again, like everybody's going to the airport. I think it took them, I think Narita airport generally from Tokyo is about an hour and a half drive. It took them like eight hours, eight and a half hours to get to the airport, like a super, super long time. They finally got, were able to change their flight and like got out. I mean, I don't know how long it took them to get out of there, but it was a long time yeah. there. And they're telling us this. That was the one thing too, about the Wi-Fi worked perfectly. Oh, <laughs> like I was able to yeah. like, Japan has that on lockdown. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was like, I'm okay. I'm okay. So Jared and I like had a powwow and we we're like, well, here's our choices. We can try to get to the airport, which is what every other person is doing. And we might not be able to change our flights once we get yeah. there. So we might be spending the next 48 hours at the airport or we can like roll the dice and stay in our free hotel rooms and hang out here. Hopefully things will like calm down a little mm-hmm. bit in 48 hours and we can just eat some food and like chill. And so that's what we opted to do. So we stayed there for 48 hours and ate ramen and walked around and it was still, it was cool. Our friend uh, Tadash took us around and like different parts uh-huh. of town. We ate some really good food, but it was still like, you're just on high yeah. alert all the time because like oh, there was totally. still aftershocks yeah. happening. So it's like, you never stopped being like your adrenaline was just like ready to go all the time. That's crazy. Yeah. And so that was the end of that tour. And then we made it through 48 hours and, and got on a plane and, and made it home. Holy fucking shit. Dude. And all the time that that was happening, like we were hearing about, you know, like the Fukushima yeah. thing and we were just like, oh, fucking great. Like, and, the, and our friend who was there was like, he's like, well, because they're saying on the news, they were like, well, it's it's nothing to worry about yet. And, uh-huh. and everybody we talked to who spoke English was like, don't believe a word the news tells. Like, if something bad happens, they're not going to tell you yeah. the truth about Why it. Why would they? Yeah. Like, the government's first priority is saving face. They're not going to admit anything yeah. to the public that's going to cause panic or cause any embarrassment to the government at all. So they're like, D- don't take the word of the yeah. media as the truth. Everybody assumes that it's the worst thing that's happening, you know? And it so, turns out it was. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It was it was a life experience oh for sure. Oh my god, dude. Well, can I just wow. say I am so thankful <laughs> that all of you guys made it out okay and we're totally fine. I actually didn't know this story. I'm completely flabbergasted at this point. Oh, thanks, man. Listen, yeah. Cody, I'm just going to say it again uh, and also in the interest of time. Dude, thank you so much for being part of our little podcast and telling us all these stories. Thanks, Cody. It's so fucking cool. Yeah, but thanks, you guys. It's great to talk to you and reconnect with you. I mean, it's been years since I've even seen you in, in real life. So I know. It's fucking rad, man. Thank you so much. It's been fun. I felt like broke the quarantine a we little bit. We kind of did. And, and I, I got to hang yeah. out. With some- no shit. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's great. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of quarantine, really quickly before we go, Cody, you make your money off of playing music and you can't. 
right now. So how can the people support that's you true. if they want to? Yeah, what's you? that like? What do you got to do? If you want to buy stuff on Bandcamp, that's the best way to get most of your dollar straight to us. Yeah. Bandcamp takes the smallest amount of overhead. So yeah, that would be great. Jared and I are actively working on new stuff right now. And uh, as soon as we are able to record in, in a safe way, we are going to be doing that. Great. So in, in lieu of touring, there will be some new music coming out soon. Killer. Cannot wait. Uh, I look forward to that. Cody, thanks so much. Cool, man. Thanks, you guys. It was, was really fun. Fucking A, man. Oh, that's it. <laughs> Can dude. you fucking believe it, dude? <laughs> Two earthquakes in one tour. Tour. That is definitely the best tour story that we've ever had. Yeah. Arguably. It's, I remember when we did the interview with him. Yeah. It was blowing my mind. Yeah. And then even when we were coming back and editing, every time we got to that part, I was just on the edge of my seat, yeah. just riveted. <laughs> it's know. That's insane. It's insane. <laughs> And those so are two big much. world events at the time too, right? Yeah, I mean, everybody knew about that. You know what's weird is the day after the big Fukushima thing and everything, and there was maybe going to be maybe a tidal wave or a tsunami. Uh, <laughs> I woke up at 5 a.m. because Abby and I were going to go stay out in La Push on the coast. And I woke up at 5 a.m. and I watched the news <laughs> and the weather, and we ended up driving out there anyway, and it was fucking insane, dude. We stayed out there and no one was there, huh? and this big, huge buoy broke off. Off. The water was so high. It, it was just one of those major earth experiences. And just to hear That's it hear it from that side, you know, after seeing sort of the weird sort of devastation on just on our side of the water. Yeah. Must have been incredible. And they were so smart to just wait it out too. Just take the fucking free day. You know what I mean? Like I know. I know. Dude, that's, that's funny. Do you remember the um the beach cam from Hawaii from that? Yeah, I do. Uh, that was, so that was hilarious because they had a beach cam in Hawaii and I, I remember watching the news and they kept saying like any minute now yeah. the tsunami to come yeah. any minute now yeah. and then it just ended up being 45 minutes of a live stream of like waves harmlessly lapping up against yeah. the sand. <laughs> I like, mean the, nope. the water Missed was higher but it wasn't <laughs> it, it was a weird experience to go out there I just watched the news and then finally I was like fuck it we're going <laughs> it, it would have hit already <laughs> yeah <laughs> the other story uh, worth noting in there is when he got pulled over by Adam Jones's friend, yeah, the, state trooper. the state trooper. We're affiliated with Ruinous Media, who also has another podcast called Tour Stories. Yeah. And in their first season, they do an interview with Dale Crover, who tells his side of the story yeah. of that exact same scenario. Yeah, it's great to listen to. Definitely check out the Tour Stories podcast. They're affiliated with Ruinous Media, just like we are. You can go to ruinousmedia.com, tomorrowwedie.com and find that episode. If you haven't already listened to it, definitely do it. It's great. You hear Dale's side, and now we've got Cody's side, and that's awesome. Yeah, and you would have thought that would have been the best story of his interview until he gets to right. the two earthquake story. Yeah. <laughs> Before we go, too, we should also, you know, we should remind everyone that bands can't tour that's right correct. now. So, you know, Big Business is one of our favorite bands. Mm -hmm. They can't really support themselves these days. Best way to support those guys right now is just going to their Bandcamp, buy their records. Every single one of them is fantastic. Yeah. Bandcamp.com, and it's big, big business business.bandcamp.com go there check it out highly recommend yeah that's definitely the best way to support any artist in this time is just to fucking give them 15 bucks and buy a record you know what i mean i mean yep. what else are you gonna do you can't go see them live anyway yeah so uh a, an 
another greatest story if it hadn't already been <laughs> is uh, the fact that they're talking about Rick James and then boom there he is you know and then of course yeah. Cody's the only one who sees him and no one believes it and that stuff's totally fucking hilarious but we also know that they had Flava Flav's cheeseburger incident the yeah. same band had you know yeah. had that thing and Cody had mentioned that the band was talking about who would you rather smoke crack yeah. with Rick James or Flava Flav yeah <laughs> so Jeff I ask you, oh, who man. would you rather smoke crack with? Like I say, man, Rick James, hands down, that dude would be so much more fun to hang out with. But why? Tell me why. Well, because I've seen Flava Flav tweaking on his reality show, and it's just not fun to be around, you know? Like, you can just see him, and it mm-hmm. just it's, it's not as much fun. I think a sober Flava Flav is enough fun. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know, man. So <laughs> Here's how I think about it. <laughs> I feel like Rick James was always the in control and the center of his own hurricane, right? He's like the eye of his own hurricane. Uh-huh. He's probably kind of like the boss wherever he rolls. Yeah. And then I look at Flava Flav, and I feel like Flava Flav was kind of hired by Chuck D to be the crazy one, right? Yeah, he was just he, he, he was, was fucking he was loose cannon, man. Out. Like Chuck D's <laughs> holding it down, and then you got Flava yeah, Flav with his is. clock, like just being weird. And I feel like. Flava Flav probably would have spent a significant portion of his career leaning into that. Like, I'm the crazy guy, right? Yeah. Oh, I agree. And so yeah. then I think about, like, like <laughs> from really my own personal perspective, I've never smoked crack. If I was going to smoke crack, yeah. I want it to be impactful. It's got to be a thing, right? <laughs> right? Like, it's like, got to be meaningful. It's going to be, hopefully, it's just the one time it happens. And so I think I want my shepherd yeah. to be the craziest motherfucker I can find. And why not go with Flava Flav? <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, whatever. All I know is it's not what it's cracked up to hey. be, so to speak. So, you know, <laughs> it's not right, worth good it, Good life man. choices. Good life choices, everyone. All right. Thanks, everybody. Stay in school. Bye-bye. We live in a city of cranes. Tear it down and build it up again. Tomorrow We Die is sponsored by Georgetown, Georgetown Music. Music. A musician-owned shop independently operated by folks deeply rooted in the Pacific Northwest live music scene. Your community-oriented source for new, used, and vintage instruments, as well as all the supplies that go with them. They're now at their new home in Burien, Washington. Visit them at 232 Southwest 153rd Street, Burien, Washington. Check out new deals at georgetownmusicstore.com. That's all one word, of course. And follow them on Facebook and Instagram to get all the latest arrivals or just call them at 206-602-4324 and you know what jeff yeah i already bought some stuff from them you did i, I did too. awesome guitar from georgetown music uh, i'm so jealous it was all online so you can do this anywhere in america probably globally yep so yeah don't be worried about living in seattle and not being able to check them out their inventory is great I have a guitar from them. I did it all online during COVID, even though they're like a mile away from us. (laughs) (laughs) And they got curbside pick. Yep. And, you know, Georgetown Music is our first sponsor. So we're officially sold out. And that's just the way that it is from here on out, John. And Georgetown Music is run by your former bandmate, Brent Carpenter. It is. The drummer for Bloodhag and the guitar player in The Grindy Low, which is another great Seattle band. So if you want to support a Seattle artist, musician, business owner, 
Just fucking do it. That's the way to do it. Just, get, just fucking do it. Just do it. <laughs> don't give your money, Amazon. You don't do that. No, 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 no. No, don't do that. We need music stores. We need instrument stores. We need mom and pop computer stores. We need all <laughs> that stuff. That's just the best way to go. Yeah, you know, when my amp breaks, I can't ship it to Amazon and have them fix it. <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> but you can take it into Georgetown Music, and they'll get it worked on for you. That's right. This show is about touring musicians telling incredible stories from their lives as they remember them. Humans are generally pretty great, but we all know that memory fades over time and that in the moment, people interpret situations differently based on their personality, background, state of mind, drugs they were on, intoxication level, etc., etc. The important thing to get across here is that at no point should these stories be considered hard facts or perfectly accurate portrayals of real events. If by some chance you were there for something that was talked about on this show or know someone who was and heard a different side of the story. If you feel we've been inaccurate or misrepresentative in any way, please don't hesitate to reach out and help us set the record straight. Tomorrow we die podcast at gmail.com. We'll read everything. And to any road warriors out there who might be listening, we want to hear your stories too. If you have a crazy moment from the road you want to share with us, then please drop us a line on email. Write it up as succinctly as possible, please. We don't want to read your autobiography. And if we have the time, we'll read it on a future episode. Feel free to plug yourself in the band as well. Again, the email address is tomorrow we die podcast, all one word at gmail.com. And once again, I'm Jeffrey McNulty. And I'm John Wisniewski. And this is Tomorrow Tomorrow We We Die. Die. Find us on the internet. Our website is www.tomorrowwedie.com. And remember, that's two W's, T-O-M-O-R-R-O-W-W-E-D-I-E.com. On Twitter, we're at Tomorrow We Die PC. Instagram, at Tomorrow We Die Podcast. Facebook page is at Tomorrow We Die Podcast. Our email address is Tomorrow We Die Podcast at gmail.com. And the show is published on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, and SoundCloud. Podcasts produced by Jeffrey M. McNulty at the Pachinko Parlor in Seattle, Washington. Additional editing by Joe Plummer and Chris Dury. Background music is by Noel Frequency Impulsor. Tomorrow We Die is produced in partnership with Ruinous Media. Check out the rest of the Ruinous Media family at ruinousmedia.com and on all the major social media platforms. Thanks so much for listening.